Welcome to Be Whole, Be Well, and Be Wise, the show that combines science-based and Bible-based education to direct you towards whole body wellness in Christ. I'm Shelly Tyler, and today we are talking about restoring joy throughout the lifespan in spite of trauma. Sarah Deloach is a licensed clinical social worker whom I've had the joy of being able to share a love of neuroscience and Jesus with. I can't wait to dive in together. Thank you, Sarah, for joining us today. I don't know if it's weird to say, but I'm very excited to talk about trauma today. And (laughs) I'm so excited to talk about it because I believe it's a topic that isn't talked about enough. And many people don't realize how much they're impacted by it. So thank you for being willing to have this conversation with us today. It is, it's an honor. And I also am excited to talk about it. And when I, it is kind of weird to say that, um, but to think about it's exciting because we know that there are answers. We know there is validation and we know that there can be healing from it too. So it is exciting to talk about. And there may be some people who are thinking, okay, skip, I'll just wait for the next episode. This isn't going to, this isn't going to apply to me. I I don't have trauma. Um, And then there may be other people who are like, shoot, this is going to be for me. I know it, you know, like, oh, this is going to be hard. I need to buckle in. Um, But either way, I think that the Lord is going to have something for everyone in this um, because whether or not we recognize trauma in our own life. We absolutely know people and God's people have been impacted by trauma since the existence of time. Um, So I think that this will be relevant to anyone who listens. For sure. For sure. Um, And just like if we're realistic here, we probably all have been traumatized in some form or fashion because that's just the world we live in. Like we live in a sinful world. So let's just go ahead and throw that out there and um, all just, just realize that um, we have experienced trauma or known somebody that has experienced trauma and we can reconcile with that notion and, and, And we know that's true because of just the origin of trauma and the origin of sin in general. So um, I think that if we recognize that, that we, we really can see it all applies to us. Yes, exactly. And I think that if we, a good place to start, maybe, um, just going back to the origin of sin, um, so can I read a scripture for us? Yes. So in, um, Genesis three, um, I'll just start Genesis three, um, verses six through 10. Um, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So I think it is, you know, obviously this is the 
first sin. This is the origin of where the world becomes fallen and we have to be separated from God. And, and, but I think that something in preparing for, for this is that God kind of led me to see it through the lens of this also was the first traumatic experience. Um, if you think about it, Adam and Eve had never experienced pain, never experienced fear, never experienced hurt, nothing like that before ever until this, this moment. So in verse six, they took up the, the fruit from the tree that they were forbidden to eat from. They ate, um, in verse seven, it says their eyes then were opened. Um, and then last verse that I read in verse 10, um, Adam responds to God and says, we hid because we were afraid. Um, so they had never experienced fear. So just to think about that, you know, like from, from birth as human beings, we're born into sin nature and we come out terrified because we're just like ripped from our warm mama's womb into this like cold, bright, sterile environment. We're screaming, trying to catch our breath. Like everything startles us so easily. Um, we're just born immediate with fear, you know, like with fear responses from birth. Um, but this was fear had never been experienced before in the existence of the world until this moment. Wow. Yeah. I mean, from that moment on, we have all experienced that, you know, that sin, mm -hmm. that fear, that separation and, and experienced a bit of that trauma. I can't imagine what that would have been like to be one day walking in the garden with God yeah. and never having those, those sensations. And then the next moment completely being separated from him with sin from sin. So yeah, that's traumatic for sure. Big um, time. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things when, when people talk about trauma I think there's big events that happen in people's lives that you could say like, yeah, that was traumatic. Like you can mm -hmm. put it in a bucket all together, but there are lots of things that I don't think people really categorize as trauma. So let's, let's dive into defining what trauma is, like, what is it really? And we can go from there. Yeah. Yes. No, you're right. So, um, Two, two definitions that I've, I found of trauma that I, I, I like to use anyways. The first one is from Psychology Today, um, and it's just that trauma is a person's emotional response during a distressing experience. Um, and then the other one is from um, Besser van der Kolk. He's the author of The Body Keeps the Score and has done a lot of research on um, trauma. Um, but he says trauma is an experience that overwhelms us and causes a sense of helplessness in one's ability to respond effectively. So in both of those definitions, it, it says that trauma is our emotional response or our own personal experience to an event that we're experiencing externally. So trauma is not, you're exactly right. Trauma is not an experience or an event itself out, out, outside of our, our nervous system. Um, trauma occurs inside of our body and inside of our brain. Um, it's just what our, our internal 
you know, locus of control um, experiences whenever we're in a situation that causes us to feel like we are in danger, our safety is compromised, and there's a sense of helplessness in how we can respond. Wow. So it really is so individualized. Like one person could experience one event and be like walk away completely unharmed from an emotional neurological state. And the another person could experience the very same event and be completely traumatized. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah. I actually like an example that I always tell people, this is like kind of my go-to example is that Shelly, you and I could be in a car together riding down the road and someone just comes out of nowhere and T-bones us. And we're in this wreck now. And um, both of us were in the car, experienced the impact of, of another car hitting us. Um, and you could walk away um, fine. Like, let's just call it, let's make a police report. Let's call the insurance. Let's get, let's figure this out. Can I get a rental car until my car gets fixed? What's, what's the deal there? And I could walk away feeling so terrified. Um, I could have um, great fear when traveling on that road again or traveling in general again. Um, I could ha- have difficulty sleeping, difficulty eating. Um, I could be greatly impacted from that experience and you may not be. So it's our our internal process of what what experience we went through. Is that impacted by past experiences or the state of your nervous system or personality? Like what are the factors that would lead that to happen? That's a really great question, actually. Yes. So I think that to help better explain that there, there are different types of trauma. Um, And so trauma is trauma. So it really, you know, it isn't as important that we identify like which kind do you have, but it can be helpful in us feeling empowered in understanding ourselves better or other people better. Um, So the first first type of trauma, I guess, um, would be acute trauma. Um, And that just simply means it's from like a singular experience in a person's life. So it's like a one, one and done, like a one-time experience where someone's um, like internal system went through a sense of danger or, you know, insecurity of safety and helplessness um, and were impacted from that. Um, An example could be like a a natural disaster, like a tornado or something Um, that doesn't happen every three days or um, every week or, you know, typically anyways, that that's probably like a one-time thing for most of us. Um, and we remember it, um, and it impacts us based on what we went through or how we, how we go through that in that moment. Um, it's usually unpredictable in nature. Um, it's typically not something that, that you can predict. Um, the next kind is, would be chronic. So, um, it is, it's repeated and prolonged. So it's a similar, a similar experience or similar offense or similar, um, similar event, I guess, rather that a person would go through and then have that experience. It's repeated and prolonged. So it happens over the course of an extended period of time. And it is very similar in nature. And a lot of times we see it it typically comes from the same place or has the same um, like offender or prompt of each occurrence. 
Um, and then um, lastly is complex. Um, and this one has not really been something that has been um, like diagnosable or even really considered probably just within like the last 10 years, maybe that it has been um, like identified separately. And so complex is um, exposure to multiple and varied events that cause traumatic experiences for us or for an individual. Um, and it generally the prompting cause or and the offender are not typically the same. So it's um, several different traumatic experiences from different avenues or different places of life or different environments in someone's life. Um, but it, it has happened like a new, a number of times in someone's life, if that makes sense. So like something happened to them as a child and then again as a teenager and then something in their adult life and it kind of compounds, I guess, as, as the events continue to occur. Correct. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and to be even, you know, to be more clear on that, even it could be um, like an abuse situation um, in childhood, but then in teen years, it may be, um, a, a bullying situation at school, then in adulthood, it could be um, a, a car accident or a natural disaster. And then maybe later on in life, it could be um, grief, the loss of, of someone important to you. So it could just be um, varied experiences, but each of those um, in nature cause that individual to have um, a traumatic response internally. Okay. So that being said, there's, and I'm thinking from a neuroscience perspective, there's a lot of areas of the brain that are going to be impacted by all of this, as far as how we intake this information and process it, and especially in those complex events, when we think about emotion and decisions and how that impacts future relationships, there's just, there's so many areas of the brain that get impacted by trauma. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. The, when I am um, like educating or working with people um, who aren't really familiar with, with the term trauma or have never considered like their experiences to be traumatic for themselves, I always like to give them this, this piece of education about it as well, because it is really helpful to, to understand ourselves better. Um, so the the three parts of the brain that um, I would focus on when it comes to like emotional distress or like how our body responds to trauma as it occurs would be our um, executive brain, which is our prefrontal cortex, our emotional brain, which is the limbic system, um, and then our survival brain um, or animal brain, which would be our brain stem. So the, the um, executive brain, our prefrontal cortex, that's where our um, language, our reasoning, our inhibition, um, our uh, conscious decision-making, our conscious memory is, is typically operating there. Um, and then in our, our emotion mind, our emotion brain in the limbic system, this is where um, our um, amygdala is, and that operates to identify things that we experience through our five senses, 
it's almost like a little filter that, that we'd run through kind of like in a Brita pitcher of water or something. It's like the little filter mechanism in our brain. Um, when we experience something um, externally, it, it comes through there. That amygdala filters that to identify like, is this a potential threat for me or is there a potential benefit in this situation for me? Um, and so it sends then that information um, to the emo the uh, I'm sorry the um, executive brain and, and also to the survival brain um, so it, it communicates that information out after it filters through and it filters that through based on our previous experiences so if we've ever experienced touching a stove eye and, and burning ourselves like that that is going to be stored there it's going to remind us that hey we had an experience here and we know now that that is associated with a threat to us there's danger there if that makes sense yes for sure i think about when my 10 year old got stung by a wasp this summer mm -hmm previous to that experience wasn't really afraid of them you know just yes. walk them but now literally if he sees a wasp nest it's like breaking the sweat mm -hmm. <laughs> anxiety because there's that previous experience there that associates that with pain exactly and, and creates that fear response even if the wasp isn't even close to him um, whereas before his brain didn't even know to feel that way. <laughs> there was yes. Yes, that's exactly that's exactly right. Yeah, that's a great, a great um example there. And that can also happen um subconsciously. So and that's where we go into the brainstem. So our brainstem or our survival brain, that that part of our brain is kind of at the base of our brain. It's connect, it connects down to our our spine and it it kind of it, it's the thing that controls all of our essential survival mechanisms of the body. So our nervous system um, generally is that's kind of like the control panel there. Um, all of our autonomic body functionings uh, get their signals sent out from there, our breathing, our heart rate, our temperature, our sweating, things like that. Um, so, so that for sure is like when your son even sees a wasp nest now, he, his body just starts sweating or he start his heart rate probably picks up. And none of that is, is anything he's controlling um, from his executive function. He's not doing that intentionally or even has control of it. His body's just doing it for him. Um, so that's exactly right. So if if the brainstem gets the message from our emotion mind, our amygdala there, that there is a, a potential threat after it's filtered through and in the intake of information that we're experiencing in front of us, then what the brainstem operates to do, it's, it's main like functioning of our brain is just to allow us to survive. So what it does then is it kind of I always uh, think of it in terms of like the like the cell phone bars, you know, like um, it if it feels or it, it receives the, the information that there is a threat, it it takes some cell phone, some some bars, some power, some signal um, from our other parts of the brain. It, it's it kind of can just override all other control panels in our brain and it just takes over. So it's kind of like management that comes in and says, hey, I don't think y'all are equipped to handle this. I'm just going to take over and, and call the shots right now. Um, so that that. Uh, survival brain takes over, shuts those things down, and it's just operating so that way we can survive. 
So when that happens, we typically don't have a lot of access to our, um, like our full power of executive functioning. So our language goes, you know, like it is, it's harder to, to think clearly. It's harder to, to speak clearly or be articulate. It's harder to um, make decisions um, in wisdom or, or decisions in the way that we normally would um, because the, the survival brain has said, Hey, there's a threat and I'm shutting it down. Yeah. And I think that's so helpful for people to understand that, especially if you have a friend or a child or somebody that responds irrationally to something mm -hmm. with like an actual physiological response that just like doesn't make sense to you mm -hmm. um, in any way, like, why would you be acting like that? It's yeah. a bug or whatever it is. Um, it, it really truly helps explain that they can't, think and decide with their executive brain and make rational choices like we should expect them to. Um, yeah. And I, I think about the day and age that we live in, there's so many people that have very um, complex levels of trauma and like, we can't go without without talking to somebody who's just dealing with some heavy things and being traumatized in some regard, I guess that's what I'm saying, isn't uncommon. And Correct. on top of it, we live in a stressed out society. So if somebody's already like living in survival mode and then we live in like a stressed out society, go, 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 go. And then we eat inflammatory food that set us into that mode even more. Um, mm -hmm. Our health overall just isn't well. Then we're a society that's living in survival mode mostly all the time. And it it's hard to override that fight or flight if you're stuck there all the time and and think with the, the logical part of your brain. So um, I just have such compassion for people who are stuck there. And if you really take a look around, a lot of us are stuck there and um, it's stealing our joy. It's stealing our joy just from the day-to-day -day life experiences that we do have around us. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that that we can be in operating in that way and just, just surviving or just getting through a lot of the time or frequently at least. Um, but I think that, you know, like the, when we talk about as, as believers in Christ, the difference in, you know, like happiness versus joy. And I think that we can still have like joy in Christ, even in the midst of our pain and suffering, even in the midst of experiencing and dealing with trauma, um, because that joy does come from Christ and it's not, it's not temporary. It's not based on our situation. It's not based on when we feel helpless or not. We can still have joy even if we're in in a, a season of helplessness or of, of fear. Yes, for sure. And I think the key there is we have to come to Christ <laughs> with our struggling. 
Um, one of my favorite quotes that I've heard by Dr. Earl Henslin, who is a neuroscientist, is God just wants us to skip or stumble into his presence with the brains that we're struggling with and sit a spell and remember what matters most. So um, when we think about the state that a lot of people are living in, we can definitely live in joy in Christ, but we have to we have to respond to him and come to him and sit in his presence and allow him to restore us from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Like when, so when we think about what that means, like to have biblical joy, to truly have joy, even when we're in fight or flight mode, even when we're suffering. Yeah. Like, how would you define that? Like, what would, what does the Bible say that is? So um, the way that I think I would separate out biblical joy and then just, of course, just happiness is happiness can come from our experiences, you know, so um, we just had Halloween, there's candy everywhere and we want to just binge on candy, um, chocolate, sugar is just everywhere. And while we're eating it, we get hits of dopamine and it's so temporary. And so we have to keep doing it. Um, we have to have more and more and more because it is so temporary, but man, while we have that Reese's cup in our mouth, it is so good. You know, it just feels so good. Um, but it is so temporary. It does not last. It's just while we're experiencing the thing that is pleasurable. So biblical joy is obviously extremely different than that because even in the midst of pain and suffering, we can still carry joy through Christ because he is faithful and he does not change. And so even when we are suffering, we, we know what the truth is in him. And so biblical joy, I think, um, a way that I would phrase that anyways, is it's choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. So even though we're going through, um, a painful experience or, or a distressing experience, or we have trauma, um, and it is affecting us on a regular basis or affecting our functioning in, in different ways, we are still choosing to have, and we can still rest in inner contentment and satisfaction because we know that God will use these things, these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. Oh, Yeah. It is, it is so easy to define that, right? It's so hard because it's so, so difficult for us to see sometimes that in the midst of our suffering, God is working through that, mm -hmm. like in mm -hmm. that moment, you know? So um, I, as we're talking through this, know that we do acknowledge that that's not an easy ask but it is what God asks us to do. And it's an act of trust. Like I trust you in the midst of the circumstance, God, that you know how this is going to work out, that you are leading and guiding and that you have what is best in mind 
um, for my good and for your glory and everything that you are going to accomplish here on this earth. And um, it is not easy, but it's so necessary to have that perspective. Um, And we can see that in scripture too, with so many people. Yes. Yes, that's right. So I think, I mean, even if we circle back to um, the scripture that I read earlier in Genesis three, focusing on um, like the sin origin story in the garden. And um, if we skip ahead, you know, like after, after God calls out to them, where are you? And Adam says, we hid because we, we realized we were naked. We were afraid. We realized we were naked. And so God, um, communicates consequences and you know like um that are necessary that occur because sin occurred um and after he does that he gives consequences to the the serpent he gives consequences to the woman he gives consequences to to adam um and then just what the implications of that looks like for the whole world and in genesis 23 3 i'm sorry um he said it says um and the lord made garments of skin for adam and his wife and clothed them so it, you know back in the earlier part when they realized they were naked they sewed fig leaves together because they they realized they were naked and ashamed and and they wanted to cover themselves and they wanted to hide themselves and so part of their consequence is that they can no longer live in the garden of eden with god because of sin they have to be separated from him and they they are never allowed to return and so i just love this verse because god made garments of of animal skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them before he sent them out. Um, and like that is just so precious to me because it God like reclothed them from the fig leaves. One, can you imagine how uncomfortable fig leaves would be wear, to wear, you know? Um, but God wanted to give them something that was like more comfortable, more practical for them. He also wanted to give them something that would, would be more, um, like functionable for them as well, knowing what they're going out into. And also this is, this is a, a place that in the Bible that has been, um, talked about that it's, it's arguable that this was likely the very first sacrifice that was ever made, um, for, for God to, to, have the animal skins to be able to clothe them. Um, and so even though they, they sinned, um, God was still gracious, even though he had to give consequences, um, that were, were necessary and natural. He still like is, is operating in an act of, of love and care and being their father, um, in wanting to, to clothe them and take care of them. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Like such a beautiful picture of redemption of even like such a tragedy, you know? Yes. So, um, I, I think we can see that in so many ways throughout scripture, like so many ways of how he's redeemed, even the traumatic and the tragic and, um, you know, I just even look at the lineage of Christ and how he redeemed all of these, these situations and people. If you even look at who Christ's relatives are, you would think, oh gosh, like 
I know what they did or I know mm -hmm. what they experienced. And um, he still was able to use so many circumstances to bring about his promises. Um, yes. Yeah, he, he made a way for us that, yes, they had to leave the garden. And we now, all of all of mankind can, can no longer live and walk and talk with God in that practical, tangible way that they had access to God in the garden. But he still, even though he had to send them out and separate himself from them, he still was like loving and caring and providing for them. And so that's exactly right. Like even when we are hurting and we're broken or we have made a mess of things or made, you know, um, yeah, like in Romans 8, 28, um, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So, you know, um, whether or not things happen for a reason or, um, certain bad things had to happen so that redemption could happen, you know, afterwards or not, who knows. But what we do know is that when hard things happen, when distress happens, when trauma happens, that God, in, despite it, God is going to work it for our good. And that's, that's where our hope comes from. I mean, I think without that hope, um, I think everything is just so distressing, you know, without mm -hmm. that hope. Um, now, I know that in order for us to respond to all these circumstances and situations with biblical joy, um, your, your nervous system and your brain might need some resetting. Um, there's so much research, so much research that shows just being um, in prayer, um, you know, being in God's presence, that it actually changes your brain and gets you out of that trauma fight or flight response. And I don't think that's an accident at all. Like I think God created us that way to be in his presence. Um, but sometimes people definitely need some help rewiring and resetting their nervous system like I've seen people that are just stuck and even though they may desire to have joy and they may desire to get out of that mode their brains just like can't quite get them there mm -hmm. um, so it is okay to use some tools that God has given us to help reset our brains and get us to that place of restoring joy. So that doesn't exclude um, lifestyle modifications, like making sure you're sleeping and yes. you're, you're eating well. Like if you're not doing like the basic things that your body needs, it's going to be really, really hard for your brain to get out of that mode. So I just... Mm -hmm. I encourage you to think about the basics, but I think there are probably other things that you could suggest that we can do that can help us get out of that um, mode and out of that mode of being driven by our trauma. Yes. Yes. No, you are exactly right. Yes. And, and I think that like, especially in the church and for believers for a long time there in the world in general, there's a stigma on mental health. Um, and 
mental health treatment or receiving therapy, um, things along those lines. And that is, that is definitely changing and has changed. That stigma is changing and, and has, has been changing for several years now, which I'm so grateful to, to see that. But I think the first thing is whenever, whenever we have trauma or we have emotional distress or any type of mental illness or, or mental health, um, issue, we want to acknowledge it and validate it. So we don't want to try to um, explain it away to ourselves or to other people. Um, we don't want to dismiss it or minimize it. We want to actually acknowledge it for the way it's um, it's changing or affecting our functioning. Um, and we want to just know and identify like that is valid, regardless how it compares to other people's situations, regardless how it compares to judgments or whatever, like it, it, it can be valid. Um, also in order to process, actually process trauma, um, we need to feel safe and calm and in control of our own physiology. So something that I tell people a lot of times when we go into that, our survival mode, our fight or flight mode and our executive functioning shutdowns, a lot of times what I will see people do is they'll try to like talk logic to themselves or other people will try to like talk them through something. And that typically is just not going to work in a moment where we're heightened um, because our brainstem has taken over and our survival mode has taken all the act, all the all the signal bars um, and is using that just for our own survival. So things that we can do um, is um, grounding techniques, um, meditation, mindfulness practices, controlled breathing. All of that is going to help us get a better sense of control in those moments where we feel we're out of control or we're losing control um, of our body sensations and of our physiology. So if we nurture our physical body and our nervous system first, the brainstem is going to give the, the signal bars back to our executive functioning. Then we can apply logic. Then we can apply our, our wisdom, our knowledge, our decision-making. But um, before that, typically we've got to nurture our physical body and our, our, um, our nervous system to allow us to feel safe and allow some security to come back, give us a sense of control. And then um, our, our brain will hand back over the reins to our executive functioning, if you will, I guess. Um, some other, another thing that I always like to mention to people is there's a lot of research on um, trauma-focused um, yoga. Um, so if you think about like stretching, it's, it can kind of hurt so good, I guess. Um, if, if that makes sense, it, it it's painful. It's, it's, um, it's, it's difficult, but it feels good. You know that you're doing something good for your body. Um, and so yoga can kind of be that way as well. You're putting your body in different positions intentionally. You're choosing it and you're just staying there. You're holding it. And so it's allowing you to sit in discomfort in your physical body, knowing that you're safe, um, but also that you have control of it. Um, Nothing bad is happening, even though the discomfort is existing. Um, and we have control in those moments to to change positions or move anytime we want to. So that also can be really, really helpful. Um, and then um, last and definitely not least, it's probably the, the most, but seeking mental health treatment. Um, and I would definitely encourage people to, to seek that through uh, actual professional clinician. Um, so someone with a clinical 
um, license, who has um, a, a degree um, with with a clinical experience to to help guide them, help navigate, and and just create a treatment plan of what's going to be best for them individually and tailor it to each individual person. Um, and, and if if that's not an option or if that's difficult or if, if there's some restrictions on being able to actually have access to mental health treatment, find someone that is objective to the situation or to the experience that can just listen, can just hear you because we want, we need to, to be known, we need to, to have community and we want um, to feel that we're, we're, we're not out of it. We're not crazy that, that we are heard, we are seen and that, um, it makes sense what we're going through. Yeah, for sure. As you were talking, I was thinking of, um, like an example, you know, when you're saying like, we just, we can't think with our executive brain and we're mm -hmm. all making decisions with our brainstem and, it's just not a possibility until we have established all of these basic needs. Um, I, if you're a parent, you you can relate to this situation in a child very easily because their executive functioning isn't always developed fully. Um, so they actually can't can't like physically, physiologically think through situations fully and logically when you're, when they're a child. So um, that's why like a toddler will throw themselves down on the ground and have a complete come apart over mm -hmm. like you cutting their sandwich in half. Yes. That's not what they had in mind um, for whatever reason they, you can try to logically explain to them it's the same sandwich. Like I didn't do anything to your sandwich except help you like put it into pieces that you could put in your mouth better. Mm -hmm. um, you can't explain that to them because they can't fully think through the situation. But if you can like distract their brains in some way or you know like with a smell or a touch or like tapping into their senses or certain movements or whatnot then they can they can kind of come around and like not be so thrown apart by that sandwich anymore but it mm -hmm. didn't have anything to do with you rationalizing through it it had everything to do with them getting more grounded and, and That's right. senses and it works the same for adults um, yeah. just, that's right we just don't throw ourselves on the floor all the time um but we might have the same internal um, response to things so like if you're feeling fight or flighty, like you can use some peppermint oil or something to tap into your senses or use that movement or that deep breathing um, to try to get yourself out of that mode. And it, it's important that you can, you can use techniques like that and recognize that. And if you have past trauma, and you start to learn um, your responses to different situations. Like if you know every time you go to this place, you respond that way, or you see mm -hmm. 
respond that way you can almost like prepare yourself a bit too yes yes going into it yes I have a um a quick example that's exactly what you're saying um kind of like with the sandwich situation with the toddler you know my I have a a daughter who my youngest is four and a half willow and she has really in the last couple of weeks had several incidences at daycare where she's like thrown a fit and had to go to the office or and it's been over again like things that in in my mind are simple like she didn't get the place in the line that she wanted when they were going to uh, an activity or going to you know um and just massive meltdowns and that was happening the other night we it was a late night for us we were coming home from church it was past eight o'clock which is already an hour past my kids bedtime um and she is just losing it and it takes a long time for her to actually get calmed down and so something that it it took a while for us even to get to this place and I just I was there for her I kept saying like I'm here when you're ready to talk but we can't do certain things like during this time but if you need to you know like whatever you need to do like I'm here for you just letting you know periodically like I'm I'm still here for you and and it's okay. And once she got to a place where she would actually allow me to help her um, and pick her up or touch her without her, you know, flailing or, or turning into like a, a spaghetti noodle. Um, something that I did was I, I got a, a cool rag and I just put it across her forehead and her temples and um, I let her hold it there. And there's actually research that shows like putting something cool on your temples um, and your cheekbone area um, will help decrease your heart rate. Um, and so for people who are in, I, I use this a lot for people who are, um, who experience panic disorder or panic attacks or, or just high, high intensity, um, emotion, high intensity levels of anxiety. This is something that can be really helpful. It soothes your physical body. It lowers it manually kind of causes and forces your heart rate to lower. Um, and then your breathing is under better control and that executive functioning can start to come back on. Um, it just kind of helps soothe. So even for adults, yes, like it, it definitely helped my daughter in that situation. Um, it, again, it, it took some time, but immediately she was able to catch her breath. She wasn't like doing the hyperventilating crying anymore. And she was able to like talk to me and have a conversation at that point. Um, so for sure, even, even for adults, um, we, we want to, to nurture our physical body, um, and nurture those, those overdrive sensations that, that occur. Yes, for sure. So there are so many of us that have struggled with trauma or emotional distress, but what would you share with somebody who doesn't necessarily struggle with these things themselves, but they know someone in their family or a friend who does need support? Like, how can they be a good support person to them? Yes. So there is a, um, there's a, a short, probably it's like two or three minute video um, that Brene Brown produced um, on empathy. Um, and I don't know if you can include that somehow, um, a link to that somehow, but even if people just Google Brene Brown empathy clip or video, it's a little, it's a little animated clip, um, that, that just walks you through that. And it's really, really simple. It's really cute. All ages could, could understand it or, or see it. But what, something that she talks about is that, 
like to to actually be in the hole or in the pit with someone as they're having a hard experience is just simply like holding space for them to be in whatever they're in um, with you or in front of you. And you're saying to them, like, I care enough about you and I see you and I'm just going to sit in it with you. And, and, you know, I'm here, like when you're ready to come out or when you, when you need to come out, if you need something like I'm here, but even if you just need me to be with you, I'll just be here with you. And I think that a lot of times what, what we end up doing, um, is when we see someone we love or care about that is like highly distressed or struggling, we want to out of goodwill, of course, and, and good nature, we want to fix it for them. We want to provide solutions. We want to provide ways that they can change it. But unfortunately, a lot of times what ends up happening is that either that person is not, doesn't have the mental capacity in that moment to receive those things, or it's unfortunately going to feel invalidating and unfortunately communicate that, Hey, we, we need you to not be messy anymore. Can you just do this and just change it? It's simple when in, in that person's reality, it, it may not actually just be that simple or it doesn't feel that simple. Um, so the biggest thing that I would, would encourage people who are, who are support people for, for others who are struggling is just to hold space, just to let let people come as they are, let people be exactly how they are without, without feeling the need that you need to change it for them or fix it for them. Um, and just simply saying like, I, I can't, I can't imagine what you're going through. And it's an honor that you shared that with me and I'm here. Um, so that would be the biggest thing. Um, and of course, just also normalizing mental health treatment, you know? Um, so just like, if we had a, a burn or a bad cut or needed stitches or like, we wouldn't just say pray about it or journal about it. We would say like, you probably need to go to the ER. You probably need to get some, an antibiotic or you need to get, you know, you need to do something with that to, to heal that. So, you know, like just encourage as well, whenever we can, we can, if we can assess if they're in a place to receive encouragement in that way, um, but encourage and talk about and just normalize mental health treatment. I think that those are the the two biggest encouragements that I would give. Yeah, it's so, so important that, you know, we can be that person for somebody else when they need that time and um, just respond appropriately. I think it's so important. Um, so along another line is um, if you've experienced trauma or have been affected by trauma um, and it's as a result of another person you know brokenness broken relationships mm -hmm. I believe that we also need to acknowledge how to find forgiveness and freedom from bitterness and and those associated feelings with traumatic events because of how that impacts and how unforgiveness and bitterness is going to impact our brain and our physiolog mm -hmm. physiological reasoning and also just other processes in our body it's just so important there um and what what would you say in regards to that 
Well, I agree for sure. Um, and that is really difficult. I think that it's especially difficult when someone's going through it, when they're still in the midst of suffering or in the, you know, like the height of, of impact. Um, that's really, really challenging. But I think that that you're that's exactly right. I think that what can end up happening is is we build um, resentment inside ourselves. Um, and then from that resentment, we actually become hardened. Um, and it's difficult then for us to not have a different perspective uh, or worldview in general towards other people, how we interact with people, how we connect with other people, and then in turn, how we connect with God. Um, so I, I think like seeking, seeking healing for that, but also something that, um, that I, I can encourage is, is trying to just adopt a curious mind even about the situation or about the, the offense that was issued by the other person. Like, why, why did that happen? Where did that come from? What was going on there? Um, be, be curious about that. And, and that can help shift our perspective a little bit. Um, even if there's, it doesn't excuse it, it doesn't change it. We're, we're still owed um, or would would like and would need reconciliation, it, it can just help shift our minds instead of focusing on like being rigid and being stuck in a cycle of bitterness or resentment. Yeah. And, and, and I believe that can shift your future responses, you know, to that mm-hmm. situation. So, um, and, and with that, I think it's important to know that this is all like a process. It's all a process and a journey. Like you can't just turn around from multiple years of traumatic events and just snap your fingers and understand it all and process it all and, and be able to like get yourself out of that fight or flight just in a snap like it is a process um and so I think some people get discouraged along that way um as they're working through things um do you have any advice for people who who feel stuck in that yes I think um I don't know as much advice but just encouragement maybe of that that it that's exactly right it is a process um, and everybody, just like everybody's like internal experience is different, our process is different too. So for some people, it's it's just going to look different. And that's why it is so important to seek actual professional clinicians for mental health treatment um, and for help with, and guidance through these situations and through these times, um, because we easily can judge ourselves um, or compare ourselves to others' experiences. And so if it, if we've been doing everything we know to do um, on our, on our own, and it still isn't changing, um, that can be really, really devastating. Um, And so I think just being able to walk that through with, with an actual clinical professional who can help you understand your own individual experience and tailor, tailor, a situation or tailor a, a, a healing or tailor therapy or tailor solutions to each individual need, each individual person. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, Sarah, I think we unpacked a lot today. Um, I just want you to, if you would, just pray for those that listen today and pray over us. And we just so appreciate you joining us today and talking through all this with us. Absolutely. It's my honor. Father God, I want to thank you um, for my time today with Shelly. Um, Lord, I want to just lift up this podcast because I know that Shelly is doing this podcast um, for your glory, Lord, and to help others um, have just like wholeness and wellness. Um, and we only can actually ever have that through you. Um, so Lord, I just want to pray, um, especially for the men and women who may hear this podcast or who, who are going to listen, um, whether it's with intention or if they just happen upon it or it's an accident that they click on it. Um, but God, I just pray that you would use what what we've talked about today, the, the content that we've talked about or covered today, Lord, to just um, speak to everyone individually where they can see their, their selves in these situations or their loved ones in these situations, Lord. And I pray that they could find hope and they could find encouragement and knowing that they are not alone by any means that they're, they're, they have a lot of company, um, in struggling Lord, and that your word promises us that, um, there is going to be pain and suffering, but that you are faithful always. Um, and so Lord, I pray that you would use this to be a part of um, working all things out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. I pray, Lord, that um, that others who would hear would be empowered to reach out for help, would be empowered to share, would be empowered to speak up. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you would go before them and bless them, bless their journey, Lord, that you've already laid out for them, that you've already completed. God, help us to trust you and have, have our faith strengthened in you, Lord, um, and, and always remember that you are where our, our joy and our hope come from. It's in your son's name that I pray these things. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today and thanks for listening to Be Whole, Be Well, and Be Wise. Make sure to join me on Instagram at ShellyTyler.Wellness and join my private Facebook group, Functional Wellness for Christian Women, by clicking the link in my bio if you haven't already. And before we go, show some love for your new favorite podcast on Apple, Amazon, or Spotify. Leave me a review and then subscribe so you don't miss the next episode when I will be talking about things you really need to know as a woman regarding hormones throughout your lifespan, including birth control versus natural family planning, and how these choices may impact your overall health in years to come leading into menopause. So loaded session. Hope to see you soon.